All right, so let's, uh, let's get ready to go. So we're starting today, we're starting a whole new sermon series in the book of James. We just, as you all know, we just got done with a four-part series on biblical justice. Uh, and as I was thinking about what's the best, what's, what could we do after that that might have some of the same themes and, and especially um, with just all the turmoil that's happening in our culture right now uh, and the election coming up and the uncertainty around all of that, uh, I thought, what can we do? What book would really help us to like, see a lot of those themes of biblical justice in context and also really help us to learn how to better live as kingdom citizens, even in the midst of this fallen world, which we are in. And so as I was reading through, I was reading through a bunch of stuff, and, and, it, and uh, James just came out on top. James was writing to a group of Christians that um, were really similar to us in a lot of ways. They weren't under full-blown persecution just yet. They were just starting to feel the first sting of being like rejected by the greater Israelite society or, or the societies that they lived in. Um, they were wondering where God was in their struggles. Uh, they were tempted by the same things we were, tempted to, to hide out in, in, in wealth for the wealthy Christians, tempted to, have, to be, uh, buy into partiality or preferring one group of people over another. Uh, they were tempted uh, with bitter divisions among themselves. And so coming out of the series on biblical justice, uh, this is almost the perfect book to see those themes in context and also how uh, you know the big idea is how the idea of faith and work works together in perfect harmony as we go about doing those things in the world so that's what we're doing with James that's why we're in it so today we start on uh, the first half of the first chapter if you're able to stand would you please stand out of respect for this for the reader no 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 I always get this wrong I'm the reader out of respect for the speaker who is God I'm just the reader <laughs> Let's listen intently now to God's inerrant word. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joys, my brother. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's right. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us wisdom in your word, that you've given us the mind of Christ, and that you comfort us, Lord. You comfort us into knowing that even in the midst of, uh, even as much as the devil tries to convince us otherwise, as much as our fallen hearts try to convince our, ourselves otherwise and interpret the evidence in, in negative ways, you're constantly telling us that you are for us, that you are for our good, that everything that happens uh, is from you and it is for our good and for your glory and in that we can rejoice, Lord. So we pray today that you would help us to see that and that we might be people who are able to rejoice in all of your providence, the good, the bad, the ugly, knowing that all of it is from you and all of it is your providential care and blessing over us. Uh, and ultimately and most especially the blessing of Jesus and his work on the cross that has purchased for us uh, citizenship in a whole new world, which we even now participate in, but even more than that, look forward to the glory that we will share um, in the new heavens and the new earth. So Lord, help us fix our minds on that. We pray you would show us the beauty of Jesus that you would give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word as you promise to beautify your afflicted ones. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. I used to live on 47th and Elkhorn Boulevard up in uh, City Heights. And while I was living up there, I uh, befriended a, a, a Cambodian family that ran the local donut shop. And... Um, they made the best donuts ever. We'd go in there all the time and, you know, we'd get to talking with them. And, and one day I was talking with the lady, the matriarch of the shop, right? I mean, the whole family lived there, the husband, the wife, the kids, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles. There was a bunch of people that were there working at the shop. And one day I, I was just talking to her and I asked her, like, how did you, I go, so how did you get out of Cambodia? And I'm thinking in my mind, like, you know, how did you go through the visa process? You know, how did you, like, how did you come on a boat, you know, you know? Was, were you a refugee? And, and I, so I said, how did you get out of Cambodia? And she looked at me kind of puzzled for a minute. And then she goes, oh, we ran. <laughs> we ran. Literally. The, 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 the country was so war-torn, they literally ran while being shot at to get across the border into Thailand where they could be refugees and eventually come over here to this you know, to the United States, where in their eyes, the opportunity to work 18 hours a day in a donut shop and live with your entire extended family in a tiny room in the back was a huge privilege. Uh, and man, I learned a lot from them, right? But they were, you know, coming out of this awful war-torn country and, and coming to grips with learning how to live in this new land of really relative peace 
and prosperity and promise. And in a lot of ways, that's similar to us and what James is telling us in this story. James, who is the brother of Jesus, is the half-brother of Jesus, has written this letter to the entire church, and he calls it, he says, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. That's uh, the word is... Um, uh, it's a reference to the, to the ancient Israelites when they were cast out of the promised land and sent into exile and they were scattered or dispersed in the diaspora all across the cities of the ancient Near East. And, and it's a, he's making a reference to that, but he's not talking, he's really not talking to uh, the Jews who are still in, those, you know, still in those cities. He's using that as a reference or as an analogy of a picture of all of the Christians who have come to faith and are now living in all of these Greek cities. However, there's even deeper meaning than that. Peter, Peter uses that same word to really say it's not so much that you are like that we as a church are, you know, don't have our own Christian homeland, but that we're scattered throughout all the nations. It's really, it indicates that since becoming Christian, all of Peter's Gentile readers, including us, were no longer at home, even in their native countries, even in the cities that they were born and raised in as they were scattered throughout uh, the world, their real home was heaven and their real citizenship was the kingdom of God. And the role, uh, what James is trying to do, what Peter is trying to do is teach them how do we live that way? How do we live that way? Coming out of the, the war, you know, the chaotic, chaos and, and, and just the war-torn culture of the, our nation that we live in, uh, and, and beginning to learn how, what, how, what it means to be, king, to be citizens of the kingdom of God even while we're still scattered throughout the earth. And so the letter is really written to us. It's written to everybody, all of us who are part of this dispersion over the course of the millennia. We're still in our Gentile cities, right? I was born here in San Diego, so I wasn't cast out in exile, and yet I'm still in exile here because I've been brought in to the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit, and this is not my home. It's not your home. Uh, we are refugees, exiles, immigrants, whatever you want to think about it, and waiting for our true home to arrive. And in the meantime, trying to figure out how to leave behind the war-torn culture and country and thought patterns and ideas that we've had and learn how to live in the peace and prosperity and promise of the kingdom of God as the, as the, the, you know, the, the representatives of the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth that we are now a part of. And so James starts out, we can start this letter out saying a lot of things, right? And sometimes, and we're going to get into this in a minute, James gets a bad rap, right? <laughs> sometimes, especially from uh, the reform side of the spectrum. But the first thing that James wants to point out to us and wants to drill into our heads uh, before he gets started on everything else is that everything, everything that comes from God is good. He wants us to know that from this point forward, from conversion forward, Everything that comes to you is from God, and it's all good. No matter what the devil says, no matter how our brains try to twist it up, if it comes from God, and it does, it's all good all the time. God is good to his people, and all of his gifts are good and cause for joy. Uh, and in the early church, there was, this, there was a big idea in the early church of these two 
the two ways they would call it. Uh, you know, in the immortal words of that great English theologian Robert Plant, there are two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. In other words, there is the path or the way of joy in life. I should do the right hand for that one. On the left hand, there is the path of despair and death. And Jesus makes all the difference. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's the path of joy in life. There's the path of despair and death. And Jesus makes all the difference. So let's look at that one part at a time first. Uh, the way of joy in life. So what do you guys think of when you hear, when you, when you hear or you think of or you hear the idea of pure joy? What comes to mind? Maybe thinking about, you know, heaven in the future, but even in earthly categories. <laughs> Dr drugs? Thanks, Pascal. Thank you. <laughs> well, hey, man, for many of us, yeah, that was it for a long time, right? Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. If it wasn't for the, you know, the, the, after, the aftermath, right? Um, maybe you think of, maybe if you're a little more healthy than Pascal and I are, maybe you might think of your wedding day, maybe the birth of your first child. Uh, you know, maybe you're, uh, uh, I know some of you have just gotten married. Some of you have just come back from honeymoons. Maybe pure joy is thinking about the honeymoon you had. I think of our wedding day was pretty much pure joy. The birth of our kids was a, were days of pure joy. Uh, you know, uh, as a former artist and musician, like pulling off a perfect performance was pure joy. Uh, yesterday we went fishing. We, let, we literally came, came to make war upon the creatures of the sea and we almost depleted the ocean of Bonita. And in the midst of those strikes, we were just jack-pulling fish on the deck as fast as we could put bait in the water. There was just a sense of pure joy amongst all of us, right? So, you know, maybe you think of those things. But do you think about, as, and when you think about terms of pure joy, do you think about getting kicked in the teeth? Do you think about the gut punch? I don't mean like an emotional gut punch just coming out of nowhere. Do you think about getting slandered for your faith, maybe losing a promotion because you're Christian. Uh, bad stuff that happens in life, right? Do you think of that in terms of pure joy? Nope. What do you think? I know what I think. I think God has abandoned me, or I start like going through the Rolodex of sins over the last few weeks, thinking, okay, what did I do? What do I gotta, like, what do I gotta make up for? <laughs> What do I gotta, how do I got to atone for the sin from two weeks ago and because God is punishing me and I need to um, atone for my sin and do my, you know, my little rituals. God is angry. Uh, essentially, God is not good. And you stay in that long enough, it'll cause you to leave the faith altogether and run, Christian or not. And this, this letter is written to the Christians in, in, you know, throughout, the, throughout Asia Minor. Most of them were lower class, were, were, were poor people. There was some, there were a lot, there were plenty of wealthy Christians for sure. Most of them were poor. And most of them were in that, in that period of history where when Christianity first bloomed, it was just a part of Judaism. It was a 
you know, regular sect of Judaism. And in Jerusalem, it, you know, specifically, at this point, it had just gotten to the point where oh, the overall respectable Jewish culture had started to say, wait a minute, that's wonky. And they started to be rejected culturally for their faith. And in the Greek cities, kind of the same thing, what we talked about in Revelation. At first, it was no big deal until the trade guild showed up at your house with the God and you had to bow down and make an offering and people wouldn't do it. And they were like, wait a minute, you people are atheists and you're anti-culture. And they were starting to feel the first nips of that persecution, starting to be slandered for their faith, starting to lose promotions at work, starting to lose opportunity in the culture. And James says... Things like that should be a cause of joy. And you're like, excuse me, what are you talking about? Well, here's what he means. This is what he means. Listen, let's listen to it again. Count it all joy, my brothers. Well, you could almost trans- you could translate that as count it pure joy. And when you meet trials of various kinds, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its effect that it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, there's a, there's a chain in there. It says this happens, if A happens, B, B happens, C. He's saying that when trial happens, which is, and he says various trials, so it could be just about anything, uh, anything that's hard, any kind of hardship. Whenever trial happens, what it does, we should know is that it builds steadfastness. What does that mean? Steadfastness is endurance. Really, the, 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 the definition straight out of the dictionary is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Really, the increasing of your ability to bear up under difficulty, under hardship, under stress, under the trials of life. Just like when you work out at the gym with, with weights and that resistance for the weights builds up the strength in your muscles. That physicality, I think God built that into creation as a, spirit, as a physical model of a spiritual reality that he gives us trials which are resistance, which builds us and strengthens us in our spirit uh, so that we increase in our ability to bear up under difficult circumstances. And the result means that we become complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. Really, that means that we have everything we need. If you have a faith that has been developed and strengthened to the point where you are able to operate uh, in whatever circumstances you find yourself, we literally have everything we need. As God promises that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. God knows you need this stuff. He will add it to you. So if we have... A, if, we are de- if we develop a faith that won't break, we literally have everything we need in life because we know that God's going to provide everything for us. So what does that mean exactly? Like, so we are, we've been going on these training hikes, right? We, we have this plan. We want to take the kids to Yosemite in the spring to a high Sierra camp, and it's a six-mile hike in, six-mile hike out with packs, Right? So we've been like, like loading the kids down with like 40, 50 pounds each and marching them on this trail. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I just do that. I'm just doing that to Nisa right now, not the kids. But it's coming, kids. It's coming. Um, 
we've been doing these training hikes where we've been out like with heavy weight and we're like walking like miles. We're going up these steep trails. Why are we doing that? We're doing these training hikes we're going through this hardship because the hardship is strengthening us and it's going to do what? It's going to give us the freedom to go to the high Sierras with our family and enjoy all of that beauty together. And that's true for anything, right? If you play piano, right? You go, to, people, some people have the freedom to play piano because they've endured the hardship of learning and getting there. Some people have, are physically strong because they've endured the hardship of strengthening their bodies. Some people can effortlessly skate 50 miles an hour down a mountain pass because they have trained themselves and gone through the hardship of having that skill. And that is what God is doing for us. See, we belong to the kingdom of heaven. That's our citizenship but we're still in the world. We are living in a war-torn enemy culture behind enemy lines and God would love for us, but what God wants for us is to be able to be joyful and spirit-filled and able to operate in that environment. And the way to do that is to grow us in strength. Through endurance, through resistance and trial, he grows our ability to be in the world. And not just be in the world in misery, but to be in the world with joy and be agents of the kingdom around us, right? You can, you can, you know, you can sit down on the, in the trail, in the middle of the trail and cry. And we do. I do. Amen? <laughs> Man, sometimes it gets really bad. I just want to sit down and I want to cry. It's too heavy. I, are we there yet? I don't want to walk anymore. <laughs> Man, we say all that, but we're less likely to say it or it helps, it helps us. When you want to sit down and cry on the side of the trail, if we remember God is producing in us the freedom of being able to be in this world and to do things for his name. It's easier, it makes it easier. And because of that, that is joyful. We can find joy in that. And so God's trials, the, peep, the trials that we face are God's blessing to us, growing us in Christ, and it's all good. Right? Second port, the way of despair and death. It's all good until we get to this passage, right? Let me read it again. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I'm like, oh, well, counts me out. Man, it was good, good while it lasted, right? What does that mean? Does that mean that unless you're like super Christian... Unless you're like, you know, one of those people, you know, like wake up every morning like singing psalms and like, you know, we're victorious in faith all day long. I mean, what does that mean? If you have any doubt, if you're like, if you have any doubt, you can like pretty much say, count on God having nothing for you. 
But he just got done saying that, what did he just get done saying? He just got done saying that everything from God is all good for his people. So this is what, here's what it means. Uh, most of, many of you have heard of the idea of Pascal's wager before, not this Pascal, but another Pascal, Blaise Pascal is a famous mathematician from the past. And he, he came up with a thing called Pascal's wager, which basically said, basically said that, you know, if, if you're a Christian, if you become a Christian and, and you worship God and you live your life as a Christian, if for some reason at the end of the day it turns out that you were wrong and that Christianity wasn't true, you don't really lose anything. You still had a, a beautiful life. You were still blessed by virtue. Uh, you were still blessed by, you know, many different things, right? But, uh, and if you, uh, if, if it was, you know, not true, you don't lose anything really. But if it is true, you gain everything. You gain the new heavens and the new world. However, if you're an unbeliever and you're wrong, if you're an unbeliever and, uh, and you're right, you know, that Christianity is untrue, you don't really gain much. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. And so he said, because of that, because, the, you know, the upside is so up, the downside is so down, it just makes sense to be, really be a Christian. That's what Pascal's rager really kind of meant. But one day me and, and Nisa were at, a, she was at a, we were at a work party for her and the head counselor over all the counselors were, was talking and he referenced Pascal's wager, except his take on it was, he was like, well, you know, Pascal's wager says that, you know, if, you know, if there is a God, uh, you know, if there is, there, maybe there might be a God and so we should like hedge our bets and play it safe and like, you know, kind of, kind of go both ways, like pray to God just in case, you know, it, it's uh, true, but, you know, and maybe get some blessings from that, but for the most part, you know, you still do your thing in the world. And that was his take on, on Pascal's wager, totally wrong, right? What was he saying? He was saying he thought Pascal's wager meant to play it safe by hedging your bets. Do a little praying to, the, to God, to the Christian God, but still like do your thing in the world and get ahead in the world and do everything, you know, simultaneously. That, that's what it means to be double-minded. To not really be Christian, not really be committed to God, just to be hedging your bets, playing it safe, but having real, not really any, any, any desire to really and truly follow God. It's, James really gets this straight out of Psalm 12. Psalm 12 says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. He's talking about how Israel would like put on a show of worshiping God, but they could care less. Really, they were really about power, success, money, uh, advancing in the world. And so really, that's what it means. To be double-minded means to be someone who's playing both sides for your own benefit. One theologian really he spelled it out. He said their real interest, their real interest is in advancement in this world, but they also want to enjoy some of God's blessings now and go to heaven when they die. But such a person will not get wisdom, Jane says. In fact, such a person will not receive anything at all from God. Man, that's scary. It lays out this terrible contrast for the believer 
the various trials and tests that we face are God's goodness. God uses those things to build in us endurance, to strengthen us spiritually so that we become lacking in nothing in this life, having literally everything we need. But for the unbeliever, the test or the trials of this life, the only thing it can really do is just tempt the evil desires of your heart, the addictions of our heart, which then leads us into sin, and then sin eventually leads us into the ultimate reality of death. For the believer, God's wisdom is like unlimited tech support. He says you can call as much as you want, and God will give you wisdom as much as you possibly can take. He will not turn you away. He's not going to say, you didn't do so good with that wisdom I gave you last week. Why don't you think about it and come back later? He doesn't say nothing like that. He's like, you keep coming for wisdom. And wisdom really, I think, is the same way that Paul talks about, like, leading of the Holy Spirit. What, how, how should I, what should I do, God? What should I do? God will continue to give us wisdom no matter what. But for the unbeliever, you can ask away. Uh, You can pay, pray, and make a big show of it, but God sees through it, and there's nothing coming except the ruin that's caused by our powerlessness over the addictions of our hearts and the way they cause us to invest in and trust in things that let us down which causes destruction in our lives and the lives of others, sadness, despair, and ultimately death, physical and spiritual. Two paths, life and joy and despair and death. Two chain reactions, test, endurance, completeness, or test, temptation, sin, death. Now, for sure, even that is God's mercy. (laughs) Speaking about drug addiction, can I, you know, God giving you the ruin that you need to stop acting the fool, whether you're not a Christian or you're a Christian who's running, can I get a shout out to all my running Christians? Amen, shout out. That was me for a long time. Even that path is God's mercy bringing you to your senses. Two paths, life and joy, despair and death. Really, James is laying out this question, which path Seeing it in those clear terms is the wiser choice. And before we make that decision, there's one last joy that he speaks of that we have to factor in to this equation. James is real heavy on talking about wisdom in this life, but he doesn't neglect uh, wisdom for the next life. And so the last thing, the last point, is that Jesus makes all the difference. I talked earlier, I said, I said that the book of James gets a bad rap. Even like Martin Luther during the Reformation, he called it a straw epistle, meaning he thought his best guess was 
that it wasn't really a, a legitimate New Testament epistle and it's kind of somehow snuck into the canon illegitimately because it seemed in different ways to disagree with Paul. And we're going to get into this in depth when we get into James chapter 2. Uh, Paul says no one's justified by, f- by uh, uh, no one's justified by works, it's only by faith. And James has, in chapter 2, talks a lot about how works operate, the, the, the place of works in harmony with faith. And to Martin Luther, it just sounded like they were contradicting each other uh, and that James was saying that you're saved by your works. And he was like, you know, what's up with that? However, listen to this. This is James. Listen to what he says. 16 and 18. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers. That's, I think that's fascinating. Paul usually says that when people are getting deceived into sin. James is saying it uh, when people are tempted to be deceived into uh, bad doctrine or bad theology right here. He says, do not be deceived. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Look at that. There's a third third chain he just put in there, a third chain reaction. The first chain reaction was testing, endurance, completeness. The second chain reaction was temptation, sin, death. And now he's telling us what makes the difference between the two. Whether you're one or the other isn't what you do or your works at what God has done. The third chain is God's will creates new birth through his word and the result is first fruit, meaning uh, Christians are like the harvest of God in, from this world into the new world. Listen to that. God's will is the cause. Paul would say his own good pleasure where it says, he brought us forth. That's a, that's a birth term. It really means rebirth, just like John says in chapter 3 of his gospel, being born again. It's God's will who makes us born again. How? By the power of his word. That's the gospel. And the result is we become the first fruits. He harvests our souls as like the first fruit offering to God of... Um, the harvesting of souls for the new kingdom. And so listen, the picture, he puts it in the context of creation. The father of lights, what does that bring your mind to when he created the sun and the moon and the stars in creation? And what he's saying is, listen, the same word that by his will, by his good pleasure, by the power of speaking his word brought forth these lights of the sun. Look at the sun. Look at that. I mean, don't look at it. Don't look directly at it. But listen, look at that thing. God made that by speaking a word. Let there be light. Boom. Nuclear fireball. I wish I could do that. No, actually, I don't wish I could do that. I get myself in a lot of trouble, right? Ooh, yeah, nuclear fireball. Um, God created a nu- billions of them with the word of his power. Let there be 
light, and it was. The sun came into existence. He's saying that same God, by the word of his power that spoke the sun into existence, spoke your life into existence by saying, you are justified. You are right before me. By his will, the word of the gospel came to us, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and hearing that in and through that process, God spoke and, and, we, be, and we were reborn, given a new heart, brought into eternal life. And so what does that mean? That means, listen, that's, this is James the Reformed theologian talking right now. Woo. He's not disagreeing with Paul. I can't wait to get to chapter 2 to break that down. He's not disagreeing with Paul. Well, he's not disagreeing with the entire thrust of salvation uh, and, and, of, and of God, the, the story and the power and the history of redemption throughout the history of creation. God has brought us out of sin and death by the power of his word through the gospel. And because of that, we are now children that belong and we are part of the kingdom of heaven. And if God's power brought us out, we can have every, every faith that God's power will keep us in. Amen? So, what that means is if it's true of you, what does that mean? It means every bad thing that happens in your life is being allowed by God as a blessing to strengthen you so that you are able to operate in this world in power and joy as an agent of the kingdom of heaven. That is something to rejoice in. It means that we got unlimited support from the Holy Spirit. We can ask for as much wisdom as we need and God will be answering those prayers. And best of all, the, mo the ultimate source of joy, you know, when, when James says, count it pure joy, he's saying that we'll have, we're not supposed to be like just over, you know, it's not saying when someone like wrongs you or you get kicked in the teeth or you get the gut punch, you're supposed to say, oh, thank you, that's so great. I'm so joyful you, that happened. He's, you know, there's sadness in that. But there's enough joy in and through this with the knowledge of what God is doing to get us through this evil age. But ultimately, it's the knowledge of what is coming that produces that ultimate joy in us. It's the promise of eternal joy, the crown of life that God has given us and that we will get in fullness at the end of time. And so it's all good. Everything that happens from here on out is all good. And if that's not you, it could be. All of that, all of that, switching from one chain reaction of temptation, sin, death, destruction, to the other chain reaction of testing, strengthening life is, all, is available for the asking. Whosoever will, place their trust. Stop hedging your bets. If you're, you know, if you're here today and you're one of the people or you're listening to this or you're watching this on YouTube, if you're one of the people who are hedging your bets, you're praying, you're kind of in, you're kind of out, now's the time to get in the car, bro. Now's the time. Because it's all good. You got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Uh, because God is all good to his people all the time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
God, you are all good to us. Everything, everything that you send to us is good, Lord. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean we're not going to sit down and cry on the side of the trail. <sighs> but even in that, Lord, we know that you are watching over us and you are not abandoning us or with us, Lord. I pray that, man, I pray that this week, at some point in this week, every one of us is going to sit down on the side of the trail and cry. And I pray that our first thought when we do that is, God is still with me, God is still for me, and this is ultimately for my good. And God will give us an, as much time as we need to cry it out and then get back on the trail. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what these what hardships are for, to see our temporary uh, existence in this world for what it is. We're only here for a little while. Very soon, we are going to be with you in a whole new world. And because of that, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to desire those trials, to desire to be strengthened in them so that we can be light in the world, so that when people see hardship, when people see us undergoing suffering and difficulties and taking it in stride and taking it without our faith being broken, it would present a picture of, 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 true, uh, of truth, Lord. People will see our faith and, and they would know that there is something real behind it so that we would be lights to the world. Help us to know, Lord, that you're good and you're always for us and help us to be as grateful as we ought to be in Jesus' name. Amen.